Hi there. We are a little bit over halfway through this season, so a small programming reminder. Uh, the next book is Song of Susanna. However, in between this season and that season, we are going to be covering Bag of Bones and From a Buick 8. So if you want to pick those up and help out the show, consider going to duckfeed.tv slash tipjar and using the Amazon link there uh, to buy the book in whatever form, digital, physical, audio, all of that. Once again, that is duckfeed.tv slash tipjar. Welcome to Radio Free Midworld, a podcast about the Dark Tower series of books by Stephen King. My name is Cole Ross, and today I'm joined by Jeremy Greer. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Cole. It's good to be back. Yeah. I love what you've done with this place. And it's the, the <laughs> new couch, new stuff on the walls, podcast studios looking great. Thank you for having me. Just, just a whole new vibe is what I was aiming for. Yeah. It is. Yeah, the colored lights. You know, I thought I've, first I walked into like a Quake 3 demo. From the '90s, but I'm, I'm really, I'm really kind of feeling it now. So oh yeah, this, this well, is that, looking good. Well, that, that that's because it was on the my the red and blue scene. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, you see, you, you you joke, but I I totally do that. So I do too, man. I I am all into the hue lights, just like you are. Like I know you have them all over your house, and I <laughs> I, I do as well. Like I've got the the blue light in the corner happening right now over my uh, <laughs> three huge Dark Souls prints. So feel good nice. about it, man. Feel good. Just just lean into it and, and just accept it. This is who we are now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the lights have claimed us. Ah, so it's <laughs> it it is great to have you back. Uh, this is your first time on the Wolves of the Gala episode. How is your uh, your revisit to Book Five going? Um, it went very well. So I when we were uh, in the midst of Book Four, I could not stop myself, and I just went ahead and read Book Five. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I read this like six or seven months ago for the probably fifth or sixth time, right. uh, and reread this section for the podcast just to refamiliarize myself. Uh, I, I like this book, man. I, it's it's interesting because uh, as getting older and revisiting this series, this is maybe one of my favorite books in the series, which I don't think I would have said when it came out. Uh, you know the it's very much a, a, a Seven Samurai or um, whatever the Western take on that was, or, or mm -hmm. but it's it's very much that. But it's also really interesting. <laughs> like I can't help like everything that happens is so exciting. It's so it kind of feels fresh. Like it almost <laughs> feels like a fresh start for our quartet. Yep. And uh, and there's Andy, the obnoxious <laughs> robot, and I just love the fact that there's an obnoxious robot in this story now. So <laughs> yeah, I I love the uh, the the trope of the seemingly benevolent robot. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that that's cool. So tell me about uh, your 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 first impression of the book way back when, because you're you're one of the uh, the, the the cooperative here who is uh, who who followed along with these books when they were when they were coming out. Um, what did you think of this as you know the 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 long awaited departure? I thought um, some of the. I off the bat um i thought the 19 stuff was way over the top and i still do yes uh, like there's a there's a significant portion of this book which are the characters saying the word 19 to each other and like <laughs> if you if you just imagine like if you did like a supercut like if you could do a supercut of dialogue from this and just put all this together it'd be the most ridiculous like <laughs> audio <laughs> book ever um I, so that that gets annoying there's some stuff that happens later that i don't want to spoil where um we get some kind of pop culture references almost mm -hmm. if you will uh that i thought at the time were really dumb and i've 
I don't know what it is that's changed, whether it was just my viewing of the book or my viewing of pop culture or my viewing of Stephen King that I've, I've come back around on that. And I kind of like the stuff that they're doing. Yeah. Um, but overall, like I, even back in the day, I, I really liked the story. I just thought there was, I was just so much in a hurry. Like he was, he was kind of had said like, okay, I'm going to release these three books. Like we're going to do the ending. I almost got killed. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And I was just wanting to rush through it as fast as I can, which is not really the way to experience the, these last three or four books. You kind of want to take your time with them. So yeah, it's been much more exciting reading them in 2018 than it was in, oh gosh, I don't even remember when this book came out. Be honest with you, it had to be 2000 and two, uh, two, two, 2002, 2003. The last two books, yeah. six and seven, came out 2004. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, reading this, you know, some 18 years later is is it's a much better experience for me. Yeah, I I am certainly getting very fatigued with two things at this point. Whenever there is a number, there being about a, a paragraph or three dedicated to people adding numbers up to 19. Um, yep. especially knowing what that adds up to as kind of just like a general clue more than anything, um, you know, for, for, for like a meta puzzle for, for lack of a better word. And also Roland's tick of, um, whenever somebody is <laughs> doing some kind of interesting exposition, like making a supposition or asking a question that I would like to have answered Roland doing his little move on a circular hand motion. You notice that? <laughs> wow. That happens, uh, just in the couple of chapters that we're covering on this episode, like, like that happens probably five or six times. Uh-huh. Uh, once to as Jake is, is bearing his soul to his father figure, the only father figure that he really has anymore. And, you know, Roland just, you know, doing the little twirl thing. I'm like, come on, man. Like, we thought we got past this, like, weird, distant, emotionalist, like, wreck of a person that you were. I thought we kind of had you reborn now. Um, and then during Callahan's story, which, you know, granted, uh, recovering alcoholic priests do like to talk. So I get Roland there, but it still happens like five or six times. And you're like, man, that's kind of rude. This dude is telling you a story, man. Like, come on. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's filling in the details of your quest. Come on. <laughs> and and like, I'm not, I'm not certain about it as like a, as like a storytelling device either, because what it sounds like is Stephen King had a, like, like had a pace in mind for this. He had like information that he wanted to get through and outside of his control, one of his characters, is saying not speed it up skip that like editing it on the fly and it is super weird and jarring whenever it happens you know they could um he's played around so much with these the idea of a palaver or a storytelling session kind of being outside of time whether Uh that's a a literal kind of magical thing that happens or even just a metaphorical you kind of forget that time passes why don't i mean you could just do the same thing but even throughout callahan's story He's, you know, oh, it's it's approaching midnight and I've got to get to bed. I'm like, well, like, why? <laughs> Stephen uh-huh. King, you're writing the story. Just make it 8 p.m., dog. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know how long it takes to tell this stuff. Yeah. Did, like, <laughs> like, okay, so, okay, option A, don't raise questions that you're not ready to answer. Uh, option yeah. option B, um, <laughs> d- d- don't act like you're going to answer them and then, and then, and then blue ball us. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really frustrating, and um, it's 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 interesting covering these two chapters. I uh, I picked this because I thought it was a different chapter. To be very frank with you, I thought okay. something else different happened, uh, and hardly anything happens in these two chapters that we're covering. <laughs> I think it's really interesting, like with the the history the history of Callahan, like his story, and the, all this vampire stuff is is really good. 
Um, I remember, and this is again going back to when I was when these books were first coming out. I remember reading this and just like, okay, I, I don't like. I want to see future self. Stop filling in all of this past business. Like, I mm-hmm. don't care. I want to see their 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 thunderclap. Like, tell me th- about thunderclap <laughs> stuff. I don't care about uh, like Salem's Lot Part Four. Like, I don't I don't care about that story. Right. Um, <laughs> And I, I can I can live in it a little bit better nowadays, having gotten to the end. I think that's something that uh, spoilers kind of help you with. Like I know the ending already, so I'm not in a rush to get to it. Right. Uh, but it's it is it is one of those things where all right, come on, King, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's just let's go, let's, let's do it a little yeah. bit. It's one thing that has changed for me specifically um, between when I first reread this book when when I was starting the show, and and now when I reread this chapter, uh, like. Two times, I think, one in audiobook and then and then one going through and making the notes. One thing that has changed over those the past eighteen to twenty four months is the fact that I have read both um, eleven, twenty three, sixty, sixty three, or whatever. What mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I forget. Uh, the, whatever date you Kennedy got it right. Shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eleven, twenty three, sixty three, twenty two, sixty three, um, and Doctor Sleep both of which have like weird rough drafts in this section specifically. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very strange to see that like he, he had been knocking these ideas around and he decided to lay them out here and then they became, you know, two pretty good books out of the back of it, but it makes this feel like weirdly inessential in a way for as much as I enjoy it. I could, I could definitely see that. Like it yeah. feels like uh Callahan, as a character um, is mostly there to kind of fill in some details in between uh, a lot of this stuff and is mostly there to give them the MacGuffin to get a, give our the, the MacGuffin that is black 13. Yes. I, um, I, it's, it's interesting to me, like after I, I, that, that really stuck out to me rereading that level of 2263, like what would happen if you could go back in time? What would it cause? And I'm like, yo, yo this is a Hulu series now. I'm like, what are you talking about? What would happen? James Franco did this. I saw it. Yeah. Or at least I saw the first episode before I got kind of bored. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it is, it is really funny. I don't, I don't quite pick up on the Dr. Sleep reference though. Which one is the Dr. Sleep reference that comes up in here? So just the entire idea of an AA slash addiction recovery narrative with oh. a, a yeah, supernatural okay. oh. um a supernatural element where the main character is kind of hunted and pursued by these forces specifically vampiric forces that are greater than him um like gotcha. that like okay. that is straight up just a little bit of a, a little bit of a uh, dry run at doctor sleep um i have to ask before we get into this this proper um and i apologize i've been so far behind on everything that i haven't i haven't caught up with radio frame midworld i haven't even listened to autumn's episodes so that tells you how much i'm not (laughs) don't worry i'm I'm behind don't worry um have you have you talked about the tv show castle rock since it's come out or have you watched it at all is it out yeah they're the first um they released the first three episodes and they've been doing an episode a week it comes out on wednesdays i think Ah, five or six episodes deep now five or six shit dog is how can i watch that Hulu. Hulu? It's, all, it's a Hulu exclusive. Oh dang, I got Hulu. How is it, man? There you go. It's really good. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's uh it's if this had been coming out when I was uh in my like Stephen King prime as a as a like a teenager, like when I had all of this stuff kind of memorized about this like meta world that he was creating, I would be losing my goddamn mind over it because mm. like it's it's every episode is filled to the brim with details and characters and songs and references and, and things like that. Um, 
And it, it's almost to the point where it's a little overwhelming, but I can also just kind of turn that part of my brain off and just enjoy it as a show. And it's really tense and it's really interesting and it's just good. It's like, it's, it's just really good. They've got the kid who played uh, Pennywise in the new It movie. What? Um, he's 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 like one of the main dudes in it. Uh, it's it, he is just phenomenal. He's not playing Pennywise in this, right? But he's playing a a quote unquote like dark character or whatever. And uh, all of the acting across the board is just fantastic. Like I think I think you'll really dig it. If uh, I don't know that it, it's not tied into the Dark Tower at all, so I don't know that it'd be a good focus for this show. But man, I'd love to talk to you, talk to you about it sometime, like on an extended basis. So definitely watch it and, and come back and t- tell me how you like. Yeah, it. I'll, I'll I'll touch base. We'll talk. We'll talk. No, I had no idea. I, I knew it was coming, but then I just kind of put it out of my mind until uh, un- until I heard that it launched. But now it sounds yeah. like I've got plenty to go through. So sweet. Yeah, it's um, uh, we're we're excited. We were watching it week to week, basically. Like every <laughs> every time, like is it out? Is it out? Is it out? <laughs> nice. I'm kind of happy I didn't cancel my Hulu. Yeah. Cool. Well, now <laughs> now I have a reason to continue paying the twelve dollars a month. <laughs> Damn you, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. You were trying to cut down expenses, and then I'm just here to tell you how great it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, um, this has been a lot of preamble, so why don't we go ahead and get started with uh, the main episode. Last time we learned about uh, not just the tale of Lady Ariza, an old gray dick, uh, but also the fact that there is a secret society dedicated to throwing razor sharp discuses. That's right. We got we got housewives odd jobbing all over the place. <laughs> then uh th- then we heard a little bit about uh old grandpa jaffords and his uh his encounter with the wolves many and many ago and finally uh jake learned what is going on uh or at least that something is profoundly wrong with susanna slash mia slash the clown car of personalities that she has going on and this begins the first chapter of this section uh took's store uh, slash the unfound door where Jake pulls Roland aside to speak to him, Dan Din to open up his heart to him about what he saw in his dream. This is uh, something else that the dark tower series does over time. Um, and when we start hearing words like katet or ka or things like that, they have kind of a mysticism about them. Like it's this weird ancient language that you, you kind of, I think for me, I injected a lot of, um, interest into that probably wasn't there like it just inspired a lot of interest in me so by the time we get to the point where we're talking dan din or something i'm a kind of <laughs> i'm like all right okay i get it there's a lot of different words that kind of stand for dad in this all right i get you i got i got what we're talking about all right i, I can um, i can kind of see the etymology that you're working with here okay but uh but i really like this concept which is uh you know there's a obviously there's like kind of an apprenticeship relationship between Roland and Jake to a degree where, you know, he's, he's Roland is the court and Jake is the young Roland. And this is basically, Hey, I have a problem. I don't know how to deal with it and I'm going to give it to you and you're going to solve it for me. And I'm just going to basically obey whatever you say. Like I'm going to entrust that, that responsibility to you, which is kind of an interesting concept for a student teacher. I think. Yeah. Just like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to throw myself at, at the mercy of your judgment essentially. Yes. And I'm going to forfeit mm-hmm. discretion. Um, and per, 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 specifically like the concept of Dan Din, it, it is an opening of a heart, but normally it is about um, romantic 
stuff. It is going to going to your father figure, your your ruler, your direct your your direct supervisor, and saying, "Hey, I've got this. Please, 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 please offer a ruling." Jake has no way to know this. Roland has never explained Dan Din as a concept to him, but this is part of Jake kind of coming into his own with his with his touch, right? With his psychic abilities, he is kind of uncontrollably gleaning um, surface thoughts and concepts from people around him. He's not explicitly snooping, but you know, he's, he's, he's grabbing stuff. Yes. Which is uh, also like a, a good thing. I think I like an interesting thing. Like Jake, I like the story. Like I'm obviously a big X-Men fan. Um, <laughs> I like the story of people's like coming to grips with their powers and, the uh, a telepath or someone that is you know adept with the touch or that has the touch or the shinin or whatever you want to call it um is overhearing things that they're not supposed to hear uh Mm -hmm. is is kind of a a trope in this this thing but it works really well when he starts picking up these phrases and basically parroting them back to to roland and without realizing that he's missing a lot of the the kind of subtext to him and roland is like (laughs) well I'm going to go with it because I'm going to treat him like he like he knows what he's talking about, because I think that's the best way to go here. But uh, it's it's really interesting to me. And I, I like that Jake is growing up a little bit in this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like like simultaneously growing up with his role in the quartet, but also not regressing, but just acting his own age with Benny doing like Hayloft jumps and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that that is giving him the ability to grow in the content in a weird way. Like yeah. his being able to kind of burn that childish energy off uh, with Benny. And like we don't see that in these two chapters, but having like doing those hayloft jumps or just running around and, you know, and that's going to the way that that plays out in this story, I think is a really great moment for, for Jake. That great's probably the wrong word for Jake. Jake probably <laughs> doesn't think it's very good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking. Spoilers, bad things happen in this book. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But it's uh, I think it's I think it makes for an interesting character turn. Uh, this 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 whole conversation I, I like because Jake knows just a little bit more than Roland thought he was going to. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of lead talking about Susanna with all of these things. And Roland, it's always fun when Roland gets surprised by one of his content. And that's mm-hmm. that's something that I don't think ever gets old in this series. And it works here, especially it especially works well with Jake. Anytime Jake is, does something and Roland's like damn boy <laughs> it's it's always really entertaining for me i'm proud but also man this is going to be tough to deal with isn't it well shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's 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 one of those moments you know it uh, roland is very infrequently put on his heels in a combat situation but very frequently w- when his content surprises him you know put, you know put, put 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 on his heels and when jake brings this to him uh, and doesn't just say like, "Hey, I'm really worried about the about the the condition of the quartet," but like lev- levels an actual accusation of betrayal, saying this wasn't just three against one. This was this was two against one. Like you were going to keep yeah. it from me. And, you know, Jake is drawing him forward and forcing him to defend his decision to like bide his time to keep things from Susanna to not force action on this when they are already dealing with so much. Exactly right. Yeah, um, it, and this is a decision that I I don't necessarily agree with. I'm kind of a and when I was reading this as a kid, I, I had a different opinion. Nowadays, I, there's so much media that is built around characters keeping secrets from one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this happens a lot in a in a, in a show that I cover podcast where these two these two brothers just like a lot of the drama is built around them not telling you like sitting down and having a conversation despite them living together in a car basically. <laughs> and it's one of the most frustrating things ever. Uh, yeah. 
so I would I would much rather see these people like, okay, hey, we're, I know we're dealing with this, but also, yeah, we have to talk about Susanna going to eat weird rats at the end of the night. Okay, <laughs> we have to have this conversation. Like, I can't go into battle with the four of you if that's not going to happen. Be right. Yeah, and like the, the, the this gets very tense with them feeling out each other's boundaries, like. You know, Roland, mm-hmm. Roland straight up says, like, short of killing me, telling Susanna without my approval, you know, <laughs> without my sanction would be the surest way to break this content. Like, I just the, the, the stakes here are very high. Yeah. And Jake, I think, understands that in that kind of natural way that kids understand how to, uh, especially the kids from the kind of homes that he is, are just naturally empathic to a degree. I mean, obviously, yeah. he has the touch, but he's off, he's obviously been... Um, that, that was the word that I'm looking for. Like, uh, like taking everything down a notch with, with, when his parents start arguing or whatever, like he's, he's obviously a stabilizing influence. Like he, and he, re- and he realizes like, okay, I'm, I'm the one that's going to make everybody better. Like, I'm not going to make this worse by telling Susanna without anybody's permission, but he's also like at this, at the point in his life where he kind of wants to make that stand and actually wants to have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not just a need for rebellion, but it is. A, I mean, it, it comes across a little bit as like a not not straight Holden Caulfield, but like just a, a, a desire for authenticity. Um, but it comes from a very real place because he is very invested in the katat and and, and the health and the fabric of the katat, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Roland agrees. He says, "Hey, you know what? We'll, we'll, we we will talk to Susanna." Either before we confront the wolves or before we confront um, Balazar's men um, in either of these two fronts that we are fighting a war on. Uh, but we're not doing that. You know, like, I'm not going to do this because it is the right thing to do. I'm doing this because you have forced the issue because you came to be Dan Dan. And, you yes. know, it's like you, you have thrown your you have <laughs> again, you, you have seated your discretion, put it on to me in forced action. Roland showing some weakness here, I think, is is really interesting as well. Just basically saying, like, hey, I, I don't know if this is the right thing. Like, I, ha- I really have no clue. <laughs> telling Jay, telling this like eleven year old kid who he's drunk across <laughs> literal creation. Like, I don't, I don't know, man. Maybe I don't know. What to, I've never been in this situation before. What yeah. do you think? <laughs> this is on you, bro. This is on you. <laughs> you could just see Roland like asking Andy, like, "What do I do, Andy? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Would you? I do not know. Would you like your horoscope?" exactly yes a dark lady will give birth well (laughs) directive 19 um so so yes this is a very tense scene you don't like seeing uh tension between roland and jake because you're always on pins and needles about whether or not jake is gonna say all right well you did let me die but i guess it's up to you He's, he's, he's always got that trump card in him doesn't he (laughs) <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, so, Guilt tripping little asshole. <laughs> drop, drop a kid off a one train trestle. Um, <laughs> you kill one kid twice, <laughs> and look what happens. You have to live with it forever. <laughs> so, uh, Roland goes to eat. Uh, goes to meet Eddie and Susanna, uh, the Jafferses, uh, and he does kind of a kind of a power move here. Uh, they've got the three gunslinger questions that they have to ask before they officially prof- uh, proffer their help. Uh, he straight up asks uh, Zalia Jaffords if she desires aid and succor um, instead of going to Eisenhart or Took or any of the other kind of big movers and shakers. Like he puts it, he, he puts it to one of their wives, and she says, "She says yes." So signed, sealed, and delivered. We are committed to this. Yes. 
um, I, I like the fact that he does this too. And I think Eddie has this conversation of like, why not let her uh, choose for everybody? Right. Yeah. <laughs> she's probably the most, she's probably the most representative person here. She's, you know, just an average citizen. Um, so, so why not her? Why, why would it be anybody else? And, uh, I, I think that's, I think that's a, 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 this is a good thing. Like, I think this is a good way to approach it. And it makes the, the, this process seem a little bit more real to me than it. Cause when, when you first start here, like I have to ask you three questions, but I'm not going to ask them now. You're like, all right, okay, come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know why I'm so impatient with, with the dark tower tonight, Cole. I'm apologizing. No, that's <laughs> <I'm> fine. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, I like the fact that he he asked just a, a a simple woman, if you will. Yeah. Well, you know, so somebody somebody who doesn't have um, concerns that are above or greater than the actual citizenry, right? You know, if yes, he went, he went. That's a much he, better way to put it. If he went to Eisenhart, you know, somebody who owns this huge ranch, he looks at not just everything monetarily that he ha- that he has to lose, but also the fact that he has no real skin in the game. He doesn't have he doesn't have a kid, uh, and also he doesn't have like a sibling who is ruined, who he has to take care of and watch die this horrible and undignified protracted death. You know exactly. You know r- r- really none of the none of the major uh, stakeholders in the town have as much skin in the game as as, as Zalia, right? Yes, exactly right. Yeah. So with that, uh, with that set in motion, they decide, hey, let's split up again. Roland's going to go meet Henchik of the Manny, check out, uh, check out that door, um, the, the the cave of doors that was uh, marked on his map. Uh, while the rest are going to go uh, get some uh, get some provisions at uh, at the Tooks store. <laughs> um, what do you think of Roland's magical bag of holding? His grow bag. His grow bag. I. <laughs> This is such a weird thing um, because I think he, I think Roland says that he, you know, there's not much magic that he has from his father. And this is one of the few things that is left. Uh, and he refers to it as a grow bag. Basically, he, he pulls money out of this. He pulls some silver, some gold and some gems uh, and gives a, a handful to, to, you know, each of our quartet. And mm-hmm. uh, this is such a weird I, this is the first time I guess they've needed money that I can think about. So that makes sense for the first time that we would see the the money bag, the money grow bag. Yes. I just – it's such a weird thing for him to have had this entire time and not used. I don't – and I don't I – don't, and again, it makes sense. Like I get, he, there was no point where he could have whipped out some gold and been like, all right, you know, the lobstrosities are here. You have to use these gold coins to distract them. Like, it <laughs> wouldn't know. have made sense at the point. But it's, it, just seeing it now is just some kind of random thing. And I believe it's never, ever brought up again. Like, I don't, I don't think we ever see the grow bag. The grow bag grows nothing more for the rest of the Dark Tower series, unless I'm forgetting something. So, yeah, I, I... It's it's such a weird detail, Cole. What do you what do you think about it? Yeah, so uh, the, the, there's a whole book in this series, the drawing of the three, where about a third of it is dedicated to, the, to them going to dimension hopping lengths to get more bullets. If oh yeah, that, that would have made total sense to have a bunch of yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah, like the scarcity of bullets is a huge fucking deal in that book. Uh, in, in, never in the gunslinger, never in the wastelands, but like the fact that his entire his entire gunna is soaked is a big deal for that. And so, I don't understand why they're not just operating on gunslinger credit. Um, that it seems would introduce far fewer plot holes than this. 
except mm-hmm. for maybe there was a desire to add more of this magic element into the story. But I don't think it's a net gain well, for anybody except for Eddie, who ends up buying a very nice shirt with the proceeds. <laughs> and, and then uh, I get it because like when they walk into uh, Took's shop, one of the first thing that he says, because he's a gigantic asshole during this entire process, uh, one Fuck of the first Tuck. thing he said is, yeah, yeah, he's he's not a good dude. Um, he says like no credit. I've never offered credit, and I never will. And they're like, no, no, we have money. Like we got we got we got <laughs> <Yeah>. coin. You know, <laughs> we we have coin if you have wares. Yes. Um, it, it, it's uh. So I, I I don't know if it was just for the like the the whole grow bag as a setup for this or. It's just such a weird detail to kind of come out of nowhere and to, again, not go anywhere either. Like, I would have liked to see him, like, squirrel away some tobacco in here, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it would, maybe it would – maybe, but maybe it doesn't grow tobacco. I don't know. I need I need to see the, the <laughs> Monster Manual reference on the grow bag to know what, it can, what it's capable of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or I need this to, 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 to pay off later on, right? Like, just like, oh, he's he's had this sure. and, and maybe it can only grow money, but, like – I don't know. They spend a lot of time in in our world in Song of Susanna, and like, if you produce some gold or silver, people are gonna do what you want. I don't know. If somebody came up to me and said, "Hey, I've got some gold for you." I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You'd say, "I'm sorry, I'm all out of cocaine. I'm not. I'm not the guy you're looking for." <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got a magical bag that produces Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> uh the blockchain bag <laughs> um took his took is is not only an asshole because he doesn't offer credit on this like small farming community uh where he should definitely be offering people credit because uh, mm-hmm. that's the way that like farmers get by on stuff a lot of times yeah. uh but he also does not like brown people and he doesn't like animals so he's checking like all a bunch of boxes of like please get out of my city you horrible asshole <sighs> Yeah, no, he like he he straight up just out of like callousness, I guess, just calls calls Susanna Brownie, and then very satisfyingly, yeah. uh, Susanna says, I, "I I grabbed this quote here so I could produce it in full. Call me Brownie again, Fatso, and I'll pull your tongue out of your head and wipe your ass with it." Hell yeah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Like later on, like Eddie says, "Yeah, I wish Dedo was here so she could steal a bunch of shit from him." <laughs> yeah this is the kind of this is the kind of dude that deserves Dennis treatment right like that's the yeah. kind of dude that really like deserves to have his shit stolen or to get uh you know <laughs> let on in the back of a of a buick 65 or whatever um, yeah. Yeah. um th- this whole scene is is really interesting because uh you wouldn't expect like roland didn't really give them a lot of direction on this he just said like go and people were going to come up and ask questions and like th- you just need to kind of be there and uh, they they go and they buy their provisions and they sit outside and just chilling out and people do they start coming up and uh, Eddie seems like Eddie thinks like oh I've, I hear myself giving like vague political kind of answers instead of just the hard truth but this is a gunslinger's job too is to kind of make people feel to soothe people if you will just to kind of get them used. To- to you um so that you can help them and that's something that you don't the political nature of gunslingers i think is something that stephen king has been trying to play up over the last couple of books yep. and uh I, I i it to me it's it's interesting but it to me it also doesn't really gel with guys wearing guns on their hips that are you know trained killers that are ice have ice cold emotionless hearts and, <laughs> you know you know you know what i'm saying like the two don't work for me very well together but i get it and it's and it's an interesting scene and i like that uh eddie and Susanna have to go through this process yeah yeah and, and it, it it's not that it doesn't suit them right because eddie has 
gift, you know, the, the gift of gab, as Callahan would surely say. You know, Su- Su- mm-hmm. Susanna has has run in high society. Both of them are, you know, suited for this, at least from their old lives. Their new lives, though, have not pointed this and, and have not pointed them in this direction whatsoever. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it, it makes sense, you know, especially later on when they're just completely tired out from people coming up and asking them questions like, will that will will, will the wolves damage my roof? I'm like, I don't know. There'll be water if God wills it. Or... <laughs> okay. I don't know, man. Ask Took. I bet he'll sell you some wolf roof insurance, though. He seems like the kind of guy that would get into insurance sales. Man, fuck Took. <laughs> Pay me $15 a month and it comes by and, you know, eat your roof. I'll replace it for you for free. <laughs> Ugh, bad. Um, this is, uh, while they're doing all this, Roland is is uh, hang out with the Manny, which I find much more interesting and kind of more... Uh, what I would consider like that that cool Dark Tower shit that I'm here for. Uh, I, I love all of this stuff with uh, Heinwick and ha- Henschik. Henschik, yeah. Is that what you said? Henschik. Um, I, I love all of this stuff. The the Manny have been kind of brought up as a like this mystical cult for, I think, most of the books. I think they started showing up in the first book, if I don't remember right. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're just fascinating to me, like this weird traveling across multiple dimensions but totally chill <laughs> religious group <laughs> it's I mean, really fascinating the, the, they're they're dimension hopping amish i think at one point they're literally they're literally called a society of friends <laughs> like is sure like like that that, that that is what they are you know that they, they are semi-nomadic dimension hopping amish um and they even have like uh you know uh, uh you know people who are in uh then they have like Rumspringa, like the the the, the forgetful ones, uh, specifically. I yes. think Zalia is uh, is is somebody who is who has left the Manny tribe in order to settle down. Yes, because I, um, I think uh, yeah, Roland delivers a message for her and is like, because I think she's his daughter or something, Hunchek's uh, daughter, and uh, he's basically like, you know, she's. She she just it's like he's like yeah yeah I know she don't worry she's going to hell she'll, she'll go to hell after all of this stuff and she know that she's totally cool with everything we we're good <laughs> out of anybody else I would probably chafe at that but as a dimension hopping Amish they have probably somehow stumbled upon hell and know exactly what they're talking about exactly yeah like if we don't do the, like these ten things like we consider everybody else in hell like it's probably just like a perception issue at this point like yeah. you know if we do these ten things we go to the perfect land everything else is hell compared to that and other people are like yeah I don't want to go to your perfect land i want to hang out and have some kids with my boy so. yeah 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 just uh, just a different kind of life is what i want I just just a little bit less uh doing peyote in caves uh would be <laughs> yeah, would, i don't want to travel through multiple dimensions <laughs> don't make me dad i, I, I like my dimension dad uh, this dimension is fine i feel like we're in a rick and morty episode right now Cole. <laughs> <laughs> we're just role-playing um i don't remember the sister's name but yeah. morty and uh his sister yeah I, I forget her name too i like that show forget her name um so but yeah he goes and meets with them uh because he wants to learn about this uh the, the this cave recently uh its name was changed from the cave of voices to the to, to doorway cave and he wants to go up there um Hendrick warns him hey the road is going to be upsy uh which is a fantastic word for yeah elevation's going to change uh for the positive here pretty soon so upsy we go upsy um, we go <laughs> <laughs> but as they as they go, Roland starts hearing uh, hear, hearing voices. He he specifically asks, like, "Oh, are these the voices from Nar? Uh, Nar, uh, the which is uh, some version of hell in this." And Henchik 
treats it like very seriously. It says, don't jest because, you know, a jest to you might be serious to somebody else. Um, but yeah, this is definitely a fraught place. Like Henchik even says, like these hills are loaded with magnets. There are many, there are many kinds of doors throughout these hills along this, uh, along this crescent. Yeah, this is just fascinating stuff. And also, while they're walking up this, this is kind of an arduous journey on Roland's part. Like, he's having to, like, he's he's sweating and he's having to catch his breath. And uh, Heinchik is just, like, rolling through, he, like, without even, like, a, a, a dabble of perspiration on his forehead. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I, I like just, like, this whole concept of, like, this cave it's in the mountains, just, like, these weird caves full of weird doorways that go to weird places that are, like, kind of controlled by this, again, you know, very obvious Amish metaphor. Uh, <laughs> this is just so cool to me. I, I love this. It's very good. Um, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, like, to, 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 to Roland's credit, he's dealing with a dry twist, so, <laughs> you know, like, Hendrick yeah, does I not have to deal with fantasy arthritis. <laughs> I keep forgetting about the dry twist. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll we'll talk about what that what that adds up to. I'm not quite sure how I feel about it this time around. Um, so uh, this cave uh, has a door that looks exactly like the ones that Roland found on the Western Sea. Uh, it's made of ghost wood. It sees the hinges attached to nothing. Uh, he even does the same trick where he walks around behind it and watch it watches it blink out of existence. Um, except instead of saying the prisoner or the lady of shadows, uh, this one has high speech glyphs that, uh, spell out unfound, just like, uh, what we can see on the box that holds black, that holds black 13. And Roland is also hearing voices from his past, his mother begging him not to shoot. And also Walter telling him uh, that the room at the top of the tower is empty. Yes. Yeah, and uh, he kind of very quickly realizes that these aren't real voices. Like he's not actually hearing people talk to him. He's hearing some weird echo that's been taken from his mind to yes. to kind of freak him out a little bit, um, which is very much in the Black Thirteen kind of you know, back burner bag of tricks uh, that the Black Thirteen pulls out. And all of these weird crystal balls pull out. Like, oh yeah, let's. What's your most painful memory? Let me reflect that back at you for a little while. So. <laughs> yeah, let's just draw you in. It's fine. Uh, don't, sure. yeah. don't, cool. don't worry at all. Uh, the, 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 this ride is all inclusive. Yeah. Um, Black 13 is, is basically my brain when I'm trying to go to sleep, just reliving all of the most embarrassing moments of Jeremy Greer's life for the last 30 something years. <laughs> like it's just that. <laughs> Do you remember that time that you said a bad thing in front of a girl that you didn't mean to and you liked yeah. her? Oh yeah. Let's relive that by, you know, you can't remember what you did yesterday, but let's, let's relive that memory in excruciating detail. Yeah. <laughs> re remember, re remember that mixtape that you made that opened and closed with everybody hurts oh god <laughs> <laughs> that is not from that, that is not from real life because the actual song on the mixtape is too embarrassing and that'll be a mystery forever <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah just keep that one keep that one quiet let me let me guess it's uh depeche mode it's something in the depeche mode family Dep the, 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 depeche mode wouldn't would be far less embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't know why I do shit like that because that's just that's just signing the signing signing me up for people asking me that question. Like, no, but really, what was on that mixtape, man? <laughs> so uh, just make, just just make up something to be like it was you know uh, precious things about Tori Amos, and I just didn't want to say it. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. So yeah. people don't have to know the real truth. D -d 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 Defer and deflect. Yeah. Um, something that is sticking out to me um uh, quite a bit this time through is exactly how malignant Black Thirteen is. 
Um, something yeah. you, you know, right? If you've gone through the series at all, and they they, they go to great pains to tell you. Um, but specifically looking at it um, <laughs> with, with with more knowledge of what the Crimson King is in the broader kind of metaverse, and also just kind of really keeping in mind that this thing is the Eye of Sauron. Um, uh, it's it, it, it's underlined and it works for me this time around. Yeah, um, in a way that the the pink ball, um, if it had a name, I don't remember it, but the pink one from the fourth book uh, didn't like that one didn't necessarily feel malevolent like this. Like it felt like it was uh, if you use me, I'm going to use you. Right. Like yeah. it wasn't actively. But this seems like it's actively trying to make everything around it worse. Uh, and the, the fact that it's it's compels this these people like this content to want to have to use it is, is a very dangerous thing because you know the whole idea is i'm going to use you just enough so that i can get to where i need to go and then i'm going to stop and that's a very dangerous game to play with something as just fundamentally evil as this yeah like the grapefruit was tempting and it would exact a toll on you like it was it was kind of a psychic vampire this you know things around black 13 not only is it a stand-in for the crimson king and all of the collected evil and chaos that he represents and is an agent of. Uh, but also uh, there is a, there is an explicit malevolence that it will send you toe dash. And also that it is only by its will that it is not dropping you through a hole in reality to be devoured by creatures of the mist. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so th this Heinchek tells uh, Roland basically the story of how they found Callahan of like, we're led here by a walk, essentially, <laughs> like a Sony Walkman that they found in the caves. It <laughs> yep. had just like a presumably Cole's mixtape on one side with the songs that are too embarrassing to listen to in 2018. Do you and have then to? Do you Walter have to on the other? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a tape recorder. He he even asked like, "Do you can Duracell?" <laughs> it ran <laughs> it ran out of batteries, and that useless fucking Andy couldn't recharge them. <laughs> um i like the idea that because roland immediately thinks that this is walter uh and walter was martin and could martin be uh merlin that old wizard of old and all of that uh yeah, yeah. I, I just love the idea of walter slash merlin being such a uh puppet master with all of this stuff and oh. just leading everybody around by the by their by their noses kind of especially as revealed at the end at the end of the next chapter too that he that that, yeah. that he is he 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 was up to far more than we ever saw um in his earlier earlier appearances right and just and just the fact that i mean <laughs> matthew mcconaughey is he he's out there uh, he's out there recording little voice memos for people recording voice memos <laughs> for the amish <laughs> uh you know it, there's a there's a thing that I like to get into when you start to talk about like the supervillain plots of um, just how they go about like explaining the details of the operation, you know, what, like Magneto, like having this, like having to like sit down with his like chief of staff and like plan out the details of how he's going to, you know, take over the rockets from the United States or whatever. And uh, like Walter literally finding a Walkman and like a tape and like recording himself and like, placing it here and like having to go back because the Amish dudes didn't go in the right cage or the right cave. And know. like, God, these, these stupid Manny, they just won't, they just go into the right cage. That's all I really want them to do. They just won't take a hint. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> uh -oh. 
<laughs> so they were only able to close the door. So they found Callahan and the open door uh, because of the hint they got on the Walkman. They were only able to close the door by closing uh, the lid over the eye over Black Thirteen in the in the box that Callahan yes. had. Um, by the end of by by the end of all this, Roland has kind of demonstrated to Henschek that he is trustworthy, and that that also he knows and respects the ways of the Manny. Um, throughout this entire section here, uh, Henschek has only been calling Roland Gunslinger as opposed to addressing him by name. Uh, by the end, Henschek is calling him Roland, uh, which is going to yes. be very important at the beginning of the next book. Uh, that Roland yes. is a, that Roland is in their good books. Uh, this takes us to the second chapter of this section, The Priest's Tale Concluded, uh, parentheses or brackets, unfound, uh, which is a long chapter which kind of catches us up. It picks up where uh, Callahan left off when he stopped telling his tale before um, and then gets him kind of to present day. So Eddie and Susanna and Jake, they're just real tuckered out from dealing with the <laughs> from dealing with the, the, the townspeople asking about their roof insurance vis-a-vis uh, -vis wolves and such. Uh, Roland gets some, which is very gratifying. Sure. Yeah. That dude deserves to, to, to have a little fun in his life every once in a while. Um, he, he does. And Rosalita's a badass. Yeah. Yeah. She's just like, yeah. I feel like this is a good place for us. And just was like, come on, let's go. Let's go to the back. Let's go have some good time. Uh, the relief on all of the rest of their faces as they realize that they are going to be able to nap in a bed for like a little bit in the afternoon before they get started is is so great. Like Eddie is like, oh, my God, this is the greatest moment of my life. And he's just like, I can't believe I get to take a nap in a bed. How decadent. <laughs> what have we done to deserve this? <laughs> So they're all rested up, uh, Roland especially so, uh, because Rosalita rubbed him uh, uh, just uh, vigorously and then softly, which is, she, she understands is the way to do. Um, of course. It, it is so awkward to hear those two old people hit on each other. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, Everybody's happy when uh, there's an old married couple, but nobody wants to be there for the genesis of it, right? Like, nobody wants to see the old people get together for the first time. They just want them to be married for 60 years. Uh, yes. That's the... <laughs> Correct. <laughs> nobody wants to see how that particular sausage is, is made or unmade, as the case may be. <laughs> so they all settle in to hear the rest of Callahan's story. He gets some cider. Eventually, things get so real that he starts smoking because he needs something stronger than cider. Uh, the story picks up with him returning to New York uh, to be with Rowan Magruder in his final hours. Remember that he uh, made his way to Sacramento on the highways in hiding um, and then saw a, a newspaper article about um, Rowan, his old boss, kind of, being attacked by the Hitler brothers, uh, kind of these notorious uh, serial killers in the New York area. Um, so he goes back and it's a fucking shit show. The description of Rowan and his condition with his cheeks torn away and his eyes poked out, um, you know, laying, dying in this hospital bed. It is rough stuff. Yeah, this this is tragic. And it's and it's even more tragic because uh, Rowan's sister is there and um, is almost deceptively nice to Callahan as he first walks in. And then he kind of realizes in the middle of meeting her that she's extraordinarily angry at not Callahan it just that specifically but the the entire like her brother's life being having been wasted with this uh like she feels like all of these 
people have just kind of sucked the soul away from her brother and uh like he could have been bigger like he could have done better things yeah um which is grief I, I think like i don't think anybody could look at somebody dedicating their life to dedicating their lives to homelessness and treating addiction and people they can't that wouldn't have otherwise have any way to treat it and think that they wasted their lives uh but this is all grief and it it's all focused on on Callahan, and he is just way taken aback by it. He he doesn't know how to handle it at first. Yeah, he thinks that she's reaching her hand out to shake his hand, like, "Hey, put her there," but she's raising it up to slap him. Like she catches yep. him way, way way off guard. And you know, in her complaint, you know, because Rowan had talked about Callahan so much, you know, she feels that Callahan is complicit in this. You know, they kind of like led him to run in these circles where he would be exposed to undesirable elements like the Hitler brothers, um, as opposed to kind of being in the ivory tower, following, uh, getting his doctorate and writing his book, et cetera, et cetera. In spite of the fact that, you know, <laughs> Rowan chose this life and nobody talked him into it. Um, but you're exactly. right. That, 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 that is grief. Um, it mm -hmm. is, it is, it is hard to hold that against her. It's these kind of things that I think um, really make Stephen King stories as as I think that makes it makes people connect with them more than because at, at, at their core they're they're not really horror stories they're always character stories and right. you know this person shows up she has this moment and she's never heard from again within the story of the narrative and she's incredibly unimportant except as a kind of a side note to Callahan's story right um but I, I it's one of it's one of the characters that i will remember most from the dark tower <laughs> series because she's so impactful um yeah. it's it's just the it's just a, a testament to his writing sometimes and the, his ability to create a character just kind of on the fly that is so good she she's very strongly expressed but she yes. doesn't serve as a particular distraction because it still does um kind of force Callahan back into a familiar role which is, you know, a priest, one of their primary duties, uh, unfortunately, is dealing with and helping their parishioners process grief. Right. And the exactly. fact that he is, he, you know, he, he is there to take that. It says it says a lot about his growth across this process from Barlow kind of forcing him out of the church and his journey, ultimately leading him back to it. Mm -hmm. it's a it's a bit of a demonstration that he is that that he is you know getting getting closer to being ready to reaccept that mantle right exactly right yeah yeah um so the sister leaves giving him a moment with rowan and uh rowan basically tells him like hey the hitler brothers are after you don't go to you know capital h home which is their kind of their place for everybody uh they they will be looking for you if you go there but i i didn't tell them where you were but they were looking for you specifically yeah um which that's terrifying and like has, has to be extraordinarily guilt-inducing for yeah. callahan to oh you oh, so this is all my this is literally my fault okay cool cool, cool, cool yeah cool. they they they, <laughs> they they killed you because i wasn't here you know, like this, this is exactly. your closing act. That's how that that is how you and your sister refer to it. Um, and you know, not only that, but their plan worked. Um, they drew they, they they drew me back here. Um, and still, he is not able to heed the warning. Right, like <laughs> as you know, after the nurses come in, you know, after uh, the 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 very well drawn scene of Callahan being there as Rowan passes, having having um uh delivered his final message here you know to a, to to his, to his good friend hopefully saving his life saving his life saving his life tonight um Callahan begins to wander 
you know, he is, he is, he is still drinking, you know, he's still going to his bars. He goes and picks up a meal at Choo Choo Mama's, which is a place that, uh, the Katat knows well, uh, because it's in the neighborhood of the vacant lot. Uh, that is a hallmark of this places where Callahan, uh, frequents or places that he passes by, uh, the Katat has been, and all of them are real freaked out by the coincidence. But remember, Eddie said coincidence is canceled. Uh, but ultimately, he does not. He, he does not heed Rowan's warning. He takes a long way around and says, "I just need to get a look. I just need to get a look at home." Um, pass by the vacant lot and and see. But he is grabbed by the Hitler brothers anyway. Man, the Hitler brothers sting really hard in 2018. Yeah, this is. Um... This is this is some horrible shit that the, the Hitler brothers about because they, it's, it's this classic problem that I have with Stephen King where uh, it, it's he just he just leans into these characters so much and he makes them so so over the top that you just and I know he's not a shitbag like I know Stephen King is he's kind of not a shitbag <laughs> like I read that dude's tweets like he seems like he cares for America uh, but at the same time it's like, do we really need the Hitler brothers <laughs> that's, that drop the N-word and talk about, like, how much of a... Like, it's very much just... It's a difficult thing to, pill to swallow in 2018. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It, so, and in and, and, and 2003, the idea of white supremacist serial killers, it would feel very much like, a, like an element of fantasy. Uh, but here, the things they're saying, I just... You know, pe- people sometimes get irritated when, when we... When we take too political of a look at this but it's like yeah like king has done a very good job of making making these two killers very very ir- irredeemable but like nah, it just feels too real right now <laughs> so wrong time yeah and that's that yeah that's, that's that's a problem with i think the like the political climate that we're in in general right now is yeah it's it's one of the reasons i couldn't like i the reason i got hulu we were talking about hulu earlier uh is was to watch the handmaid's tale handmaid's tale handmaid's tale handmaid's tale Handmaid's Tale. and uh and then got a few episodes in and was like too much i'm like this is too much yeah (laughs) this is too real i can't can't, i know it's fiction but at the same time i was thinking and i was like i just i don't want to like experience this in the in the idea that you know what i'm saying like yeah yeah yeah. like i'm already really worried about a lot of these concepts yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, like, like like fiction does not necessarily have to be no, not ne- strike the necessarily fiction does not have to be escapism. You can use it to reflect and process um, the real world. I think that is its most useful function in in in, in a lot of ways. Pure escapism, I think, is is is, is a trap that genre fiction um, either falls into or is unjustly accused of falling into. Uh, here though, I don't know, maybe it's just because uh, we're recording it a year. It's a year anniversary after Charlottesville. Like who, who would have expected in 2003 that Nazis would be a thing again still? Yeah. Yeah. So don't want to dwell on that too much. People, people, people chafe at that, but like that stuck out to me very, um, very acutely at this specifically with, uh, with the language. So there are two of them. There's the big smart one named Nort. Uh, you will remember that the uh, the weed, the devil weed addicted person that um, Walter resurrected in Tall was named Nort. Um, there was also the dumb little one, Bill, who is who is very excited to tell people that he owns uh, Herman Goering's Luger when in reality it's like a thirty eight special, just a shitty little thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but they, but 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 they, but they grab Callahan and terrifyingly, like there are people on the street. Nobody pays attention. They just tell people, "Ah, he's had too much to drink. We're just taking care of him." He screams, "The Hitler brothers!" Nobody pays attention. They drag him into a into a laundromat and work him over. Uh, specifically his yes. testicles uh, in a way that gave me uh, it fired up those old mirror neurons uh, for me uh, the, the, the the description the, the, the like what is it they, they they pulled away his testicles like they were uh, like the like the like it was the, the oh, shade yeah. the shade on a window uh, talked about the pain spreading like molten lead in his abdomen. Uh, and also the two of them bickering about the difference between the balls and the scrote. Like, <laughs> you idiot, the balls are the scrote. <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've, I remember uh, some of my female friends uh, t- taking self-defense classes, and that was one of the things, is, was grab, twit, and pull. Like grabs grab a man's balls, twist, and then pull down. Yeah. Um. That and that's the like this is the closest I've ever gotten to experience anything like that. Like I, I got kicked <laughs> in the balls like once when I was a kid, but right. I have been very protective ever since. And yeah. Um. Yeah. You, you only have to feel that you, nausea once, right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't. And, you, and you're literally wearing a cup for the rest of your life. You're right. like, I'll just do it. I'm just. I'm just. This is who I am. Now. I'm, I'm a cod piece. Um, that's my thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a. I'm a never nude. <laughs> <for this. laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't um, interrupt you no 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 uh, not at all i just like this was so it's it's such a visceral thing and you just have that kind of reaction of like oh god this, this has to be the worst yeah um and it yeah and these two idiots the, these two hitler brother idiots are just they're so they're so um they're they're so like stupid and dumb yeah and just terrifying all the more because of it. Like the fact that they're doing this to, they were specifically like, see, they were contracted to do this by somebody else and like they were going to have to mess them up a little bit. And they start arguing over the correct way to put a swastika on someone's forehead. Like, oh no, you already messed. At least let me draw it on you, draw it first, and you can just trace it. And I'm like, oh my God, these guys are terrified and so fucking stupid. What is wrong with you guys? Set it in contrast to Eddie. Uh, you know, probably half a decade later, uh, when he said, you know, when they are still afraid of these, afraid of these boogeymen, and just you realize they're just a couple of dipshits who barely have their own MO worked out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, this is terrifying. And, you know, this was specifically because of the lack of sensory information. Like they take a picture of Callahan with a with a Polaroid and that blinds him because of the flash, and that helps explain a little bit um of the limited information once the cavalry arrives. You know, the, 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 they're about to they're about to kill him. They've already done just a tremendous amount of damage to him. But these two men, uh one who is uh overweight and has a ring that says ex libris and the other one drops yiddish phrases specifically i think he tells one of them to go shit in the ocean which is a very good uh, a very good saying that i would like to use um <laughs> it is left to be a mystery however if it is a, if it is a mystery it's the shittiest one it's tower and deep now um you know from from the manhattan restaurant of the mind they have come here They've obviously yes. never mm-hmm. never dealt with any kind of conflict like this before. They have a gun. They're not afraid to fire it. It is bigger than Gehring's Luger. 
<laughs> they're just firing it all over the place. That's the best thing about this is that they, like, they were obviously whoever put them up to this obviously told them like you have to pull the trigger, you have to be ready to pull the trigger. Yes. So the guy just comes in like blasting everything but the enemy, <laughs> like just shooting the place up, which is really funny. <laughs> it's like sh- sh- show them that you mean it. But uh, I think it's specifically it's it's Tower, you know, who does the whole like you know with your kids. You say I'm going to give you the count of three, three two and then then they then they come to dinner or whatever like he says okay i'm gonna count backward from 10 and then he's too scared to actually draw it out and like raise their attention so he goes like 10 9 8 2 3 2 <laughs> he says it too fast <laughs> because he's just terrified he's wheezing and stuff like it's a real it's a real kind of comedy of errors if they were trying to deal with anybody who was actually competent as opposed to these two fucking dipshit nazis um, all of them would be fucked, but as it stands, like they yes. they, they, they they save him, right? You know, they say like, yeah, we're you know we're we're responsible for your life now in the Chinese way. You know, just fucking fucking tower invoke some kind of weird proverb. Uh, they take him to the hospital, and they're going to try and keep the keep the brothers away. And irony, yeah, they uh, go, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt. Oh, I was going to say, and irony of ironies, uh, uh, Callahan ends up um in uh, Magruder's old room. Yes. Um, and th- I think that the room number adds up to 19 while we're here. We can just mention that because yeah. the book mentions it over and over again. 577. Um, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, has to be 19. Like, we have to do it every single time, everybody. <laughs> Good job. Uh, yeah, he, he winds up there and then... Um, as he's uh he finds out later that while he's doing like some some while he's basically recuperating that the the Hitler brothers were killed. So like they're they're kind of permanently out of the picture and uh which sets him on just kind of like a like a wander through the United States. He just kinda drinks his way through the, the back alley America and like a very um like a like a like a non cool version of on the road, I guess. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just like I'm just, it's it, it's a reprise of what he did earlier. That I like. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. There was a little bit of, a little bit of lag there. What'd you just say? Oh, that that was that was my whole point was just drinking through the uh, drinking through America. But yeah, this is exactly what he did earlier beforehand. He he goes about this wander because they uh, because the heat's on, right? Uh, the, the 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 low men, whoever whoever is after him, they very nearly su- uh, succeeded. Let's get to the West Coast because New York is apparently a hotbed. He wanders, and eventually he ends up in, coincidence of coincidences, Topeka. Uh, Topeka, Kansas, where he hits his rock bottom. He brings this up, and everybody kind of reflects on their own, or at least, uh, um, what am I thinking of, Jake and Eddie reflect on their own rock bottoms. Jake Mm -hmm. recalls uh, (laughs) the moment when he realized what his final essay was uh, for his English class. Um, and Eddie remembers, you know, being ready to slit Roland's throat so he could go through a door and get some heroin. And surprisingly, we don't get that 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 from uh, Susanna. Do you would think that she would have some some pretty fucked up b- b- bottom of the barrel kind of memories? But they, we just we don't we don't get that. So we just skip <laughs> right along. <laughs> Maybe hers her hers is in progress. I don't know. Not a bit, uh, squeezing a frog to death doesn't <laughs> seem like something you do when you're far away from rock bottom. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, I've been there and I haven't hit rock bottom, but so, you know, different people, different folks, it's sport. different strokes. It's it <laughs> sport for, for sport out of, uh, instead of out of necessity. Um, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> uh, Callahan's rock bottom is being thrown into a drunk tank and having a, having a seizure, uh, and shit, shitting and pissing himself. Um, 
just you know terrible set of circumstances somebody down the hall and this is a wonderful little nightmare detail somebody down the hall is listing names in alphabetical order um which is a very uh very like a like david lynch kind of thing like that is a background detail that adds up to nothing aside from like a person who is you know in uh, a heightened state of anxiety would fixate on that and it would cause them to spiral further isn't this directly a lynch thing like uh i want to say it was something there something in the return there was a scene where a couple of the characters are in jail and one is just repeating i'm I mean, I'm, yeah, like, I'm rewatching the, Twin Peaks right now, so, yeah. so I mean, it could be the first season too. But yeah, it, it's it's very weird, and I don't like it. <laughs> to sum it up, it's it just makes me feel so creepy, and I yeah do not yeah. like. Um, <laughs> well, the the uh, specifically in the return, the guy who is uh, all all busted up and is constantly drooling blood. Um, and yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, that's the, the, what it is. yeah. I'm I'm happy that you called called that out because that is also specifically what was brought to mind this time for me. So. Excellent. Um, Kindred spirits in that regard. Also, Callahan (laughs) uh, sees sees more Bango Skank graffiti. So Bango Skank was here. Uh, And somebody somebody is singing that goddamn Elton John song that is haunting him. Somebody saved my life tonight. Uh, He is too drunk to realize that he is the one who is singing that. (laughs) <laughs> which has to be a, a special kind of drunk like that's a that's a severe drunk <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> to, to, to to have that disconnection between kind of like your own just resentment or resentful inner monologue and the actions that you're taking in the in the real world Blech. um mm-hmm. but after this he gives himself an ult- uh, an ultimatum he says okay i'm gonna quit drinking and actually live a life so i can justify the risk that my saviors took on me or I'm going to kill myself. So he gives himself a year to do this. He says Topeka's as good a place as any to settle. Um, he goes to AA meetings, you know, and he does all, he goes through all the motions and he even picks up where he left off a little bit working at a shelter when he is not spending time in the park where uh, Blaine the Mono, the, 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 the train is settled. That's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> He this this whole thing where he gets involved in this shelter and uh, the shelter is offered like a million dollars from a, a like a, a weird like from a corporation and like the Callahan even tells him like oh yeah we we checked out the the corporation as well as we could and they seemed legit like they <laughs> uh, you know everything was working fine but it like it in in 2018 just the idea of a corporation just randomly saying like yes we would like to give you one million dollars come to this address please like would set off <laughs> alarm bells like, all over the place and probably should have done so in the 80s maybe uh, maybe um especially in 1980s dollars holy shit there's a wonderful moment where he mm-hmm. says like oh a million dollars especially in the reagan era and susanna's like what the fuck really you all are all of you joking with me is this is this reality oh my god are you just are you all gaslighting me or all you white boys gaslighting me about this jesus christ (laughs) (laughs) but callahan even says like yeah like just after being chased for nearly a decade my alarm bell should have should have been up right um but you know, greed in the service of doing good is still greed, and it blinds you in the same way. That's not an exact quote, but it is mm-hmm. the sentiment that is uh, the, 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 the that is offered. Um, and Callahan is also a little bit on edge because he's seen another missing pet poster as well. Um, so they're they're on to him. Um, <laughs> 
uh and also he's been lured into this like sense of uh into the sense of security like at the thanksgiving dinner he almost says i am thankful i haven't seen any type two or three vampires recently <laughs> that's a way to get your your uh like you know 40 day chips taken away back from you uh, <laughs> yeah quick. we're just we're just gonna hold we're gonna hold on to this on a probationary basis uh, but the letter... yeah, yeah. let's let's make sure you don't say anything weird about vampires, and then we will give this back to you a week <laughs> at a time. Um, the letter that they get, uh, it is from one Richard Sayer of the Sombra Corporation. We have heard this name before, um, offering this shelter and you know several others one million dollars. Um, and this brings Callahan to his death. He dies on September nineteenth. Yes. Um, you know they're, they're they're drawn into this building in Detroit. Uh, this huge conference room uh, that is full of vampires and low men. Uh, he notices, you know, this is the first time he's seen a low man up close and in full light. He notices the uh, the well of blood on their forehead, which is a wonderful detail about these things. We learn later that this is how they breathe because their faces are masks. And that is uh, kind of exposing the roiling flesh beneath them. Yeah, this is creepy and great, and I love it. Like, I love this take on vampires. Yes. So they're like, all right, well, we've got you here. You're fucked. You're going to die. But before you die, we're going to let our vampire friends uh, kind of get some revenge. Sayer straight up looks to the other vampires and says, this man has killed hundreds and hundreds of your of, uh, of your fellow undead men. So we're going to let you, uh, we're, we're going to let you uh, just kind of take some turns. He also says that even if you escape, these vampires have AIDS um, and you're going to be taken <laughs> off of the board. Jesus. Yeah. I'm not sure about that detail. Uh, Steven, if, if, uh, if, if I'm being honest with you, <laughs> it's a, it's definitely like he was trying to tap into like the AIDS hysteria that was happening in this time period. Um, yeah. like when the book was coming out, because I feel like we were well on the other side of that by the time the books were coming out, but uh, yes. like during the eighties and it's, I feel like by 2003 or whenever he was writing this, like he should have been done with the AIDS like thing, like a vampire with is such a fucking schoolboy bullshit thing to say, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a, the, the, the idea of using like AIDS as a weapon. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did they get it from toilet seats, Stephen? What are you doing? What, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> let's talk, talk about this. Uh, but you know, I, I I see what they were they're, they're trying to go for. Like, even if you manage to get out of this room full of vampires, like you're still we're still going to kill you after the fact. Um, yeah. they, this could have easily just been weird poison vampires. Like, I would have accepted mm -hmm. that more readily than having it be like a weaponized version of a of a very serious disease. Um, but yeah. Callahan does it. He he does the most expedient thing, which is just jump straight through the window. Uh, Callahan comes here with friends, right? Like it's 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 to him and a couple of dudes from the shelter that, that come walk into this room, right? Yeah, it's it, it's two other uh, kind of members members of the leadership of the shelter of Lighthouse, mm -hmm. the shelter that they're at. Um, and his alarm doesn't go up until it's like way too late, until the lock uh, latches yeah. behind them. So presumably he just leaves those two assholes behind while he jumps out the window. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And, and also the fact. it's never brought up again. That's why I'm bringing it up. That's, yeah. I just like they don't. The rest of Callahan's story, he doesn't mention that. And I feel guilty for leaving that, you know, Ed back there with the room full of vampires and low men. My bad, Ed. Sorry. <laughs> like, wait, so the money. So are we getting the money? I don't care if I'm a vampire. I just want to <laughs> help people. Like, not, I didn't kill any vampires. I don't even think you were as a real until five seconds ago. Can I leave? Is that I, okay? I, I, I think I think Sayer even says that we'll spare your friends. We're only here for you. However, who right. knows if you can trust Sayer, right? 
Sure, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. in a room full of hungry vampires, like somebody's got to eat, so they yes. could probably you need to get out of there really quick if, if they're <laughs> no matter what you need to do that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he he jumps out the window. I like this moment where he has uh. Because I would imagine time freezing in this moment as he's hurling himself towards the window and he's realizing like, oh, this could be a reinforced a piece of reinforced glass so that people don't, you know, kill themselves like they've done and historically throwing themselves out of buildings. Mm-hmm. So he prays to God that it will break and actually yeah. he he does he he and he falls to his death uh, and wakes up someplace very familiar to us. Uh, yes, extremely familiar because he wakes up to the smell of old, dry, desiccated hay. Uh, he's actually in the way station in the Mohane from way back in book one. Specifically, he's in the room with the pumping machine that is powered by the atomic slug, the North Central Positronics one, um, mm-hmm. you know, where, <laughs> where where Jake got the water to revive Roland after he collapsed. Um, in fact, it is so recently after that they have after they've gone, after they've moved on to the mountains, that uh, he can go out and see them as specks on the horizon. Uh, <laughs> what's kind of funny about this is uh, that Walter is here when, for the entire first book, we thought that Walter was so far ahead. Turns out, kind of the chase didn't matter because Walter can move around at will. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, which puts another light, like, shines another light on that book. Uh, and this is a great example of how... Stephen King can make previous works of his worse by, by yeah. continuing to write in the same series. Uh, it's not always like that. Sometimes he, he goes back and makes things better, but yeah. uh, wow, that whole, like that great whole, you know, the man in black fled across the desert. The gunslinger followed like that whole, that whole book is about him chasing Walter and to know that Walter could just teleport anytime he wants to. Now, about the time we get to the fifth book is, yeah, it makes that book lesser to some degree. So a little bit, um, and even if it's not, even if you don't take that extreme of a take on it, um, it double and triple underlines something that we gathered after book one, which is that Walter was manipulating him and keeping him busy throughout that entire yeah. time, which is like, you know, I, I was actually really fine with the with the degree to which Walter was playing a game with him. That, that like that, that that was good. I didn't need this to be to, 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 to be set up as kind of a fuck you to the stakes in that first book. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think that's my my main issue with it is it's, you know, we we've dealt with this before, and you know, various video game media where sequels come along and make the original game kind of worse with extra plot points, and uh, <sighs> it's it's, <laughs> and it's um it's something that I watch out for a lot nowadays when I when I consume media, and it's it's just you know I don't think authors can help themselves, and I think I would be guilty of this too, like the the times in my life where i've written stuff like i could definitely see that urge in myself to like go back and want to change something and, and make it quote unquote better and no just do that yeah so. yeah i mean do what you want to it's your story like i'm not your, i'm not some arbiter <laughs> yeah. of what you can or cannot do but yeah, yeah. no no that, 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 I, I think that's i think that's correct like i am mm-hmm. so i'm fine with the result of it like i'm fine with this with, with callahan being brought to a familiar place uh, just yeah. not in that same kind of timeline and continuity, right? <laughs> I just do you do you think that it needed like because all that happens here is that Walter shows up, um, like here's Black Thirteen and kicks him through a different door to a different place. Like, did yeah. we need to come here? Um, and I, I get that it shows it it, it kind of shows Walter as this 
interdimensional like puppet master who was kind of putting himself in these places at very specific times to do specific things which mm-hmm. is is a very super villain kind of holy shit how much does he know how does he have the finger on his pulse on all these different timelines kind of thing but it seems like there could just be a shortcut where you just put him in the caves and didn't have the scene and the but at this point i feel like uh and i hate to i hate to even say the word but it feels like stephen king is wanting to call back to those original books to a high degree so he's wanting to put more stuff around them yeah um which works in some cases for me and does not work in others luckily this is very small it doesn't really matter over the grand scheme of things because he doesn't stay here very long he just gets kicked back into the caves into the doorway cave yeah yeah uh because the unfound door is here um, and what Walter is mm-hmm. doing here, Walter slash Martin slash Randall Flagg, whoever, you know, this Narlathotep figure, um, what he is doing is saying like, hey, they're going to die in the mountains, you know, if everything is set up, you're my contingency plan. I'm going to give you this and, you know, you're going to go and you're going to live, you know, a rural life. You're going to feel this false sense of redemption. They're going to arrive if they if they survive at all, if they survive many attempts on them. And this is my insurance policy. You're going to kill them by doing everything they ask because you have this poisonous object because you have black 19. Um, yes. <laughs> black 13, black 13. Whoops. I'm doing it too. Aren't I? <laughs> yeah. I can see why you would get the, t- you could use the, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I, I was, I was looking at different parts of the notes. <laughs> sure. 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 Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's, it's really easy to get those two confused. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> So basically he wakes up in this like town, right? Um, at the town, uh, whose name I've already forgotten because I'm a terrible dark, <laughs> dark tower fan. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, and he, he, well, he wakes up sorry, in the, in, in the cave, Caliber and Sturgis, specifically in like in the process of being kicked through the, the, the box opened up and, uh, just by the ball rotating in its box and looking at him, you know, seeing the eye open up inside of it, he understands kind of like the forces that are at work here. He understands the Crimson King. Um, and he's unconscious, yeah. you know, basically from the terror of having seen this for three days before Henchik finds him and kind of brings him back into Caliber and Sturgis to, uh, you know, live his life, you know, as this transplant uh, before he ultimately settles back into his life as a preacher. Yeah. And I, I like the idea of this cat just like going to a different place and just saying like, well, I've only, really only know how to do one, two things and one's drink and one's preach. So <laughs> probably shouldn't drink because I've got weird black 13. So let's 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 start a church. It'll, it'll, it'll be one or the other. And imagine imagine the convenience when people already know all about the man, Jesus, like all bullshit. Yeah, that's the- <laughs> 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 this is the easiest missionary trip ever. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, he settles into his life. The problem is before he buries the ball beneath the church, it calls out to him. This is where we get the moment where he is, uh, he kind of puts two and two to get two, two and two together and realizes the combination of the, of the ball and the door will let him aim his travel. And he realizes, Oh, I could go back to the Kennedy assassination and not, maybe not just like see who did it. Maybe not just see if it was a conspiracy, like all those crazy people said, but maybe could stop it. And they kind of draw out like, oh, what if that sets in, uh, you know, sets worse events in motion? Um, and this is the eleven twenty two sixty three kind of portion. Yeah, um, years before that book or that series would ever come out, um, yeah. 
And just want to note again, like this is not the first time John Kennedy has been brought up in, in the Dark Tower. Susanna has always called her mode when we first met. Suzanne, um, like she, she was talking about John Kennedy and how he was the her dad. I think called him the last gunslinger. And so yep. when she says that now, Roland's like, "Say true," and he, she's like, "Yeah, say true, dog. Say yeah. true." <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been thinking this. I've been thinking this over for a while. Yeah, it's it's something that's it's like you mentioned this at the beginning of the show, and it's something that's very weird to see a small detail like this left in this book, um, and then developed into a full thing later down the road. Like that's really fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in addition to that temptation, he has drawn Todash twice. Um, the first time it is to get some closure on the events of Salem's Lot. Remember, uh, kind of the framing narrative was Ben Mears and Mark, uh, <laughs> Mark, the, the nerdy teen moving to Zapatos, Mexico uh, to kind of live their life in hiding. Uh, he's drawn uh, to them and Zapatos in the 90s, specifically to see Mark giving a uh, giving a eulogy uh, for Ben. Uh, you know, calling him his father, you know, um, Callahan is not able to interact with them. He is still the ghost. He is still the cold draft that everybody bends around, but he kind of views this, uh, this Todash as a bit of a, as a bit of an act of mercy, uh, an, an act of closure that helps him put that, put that chapter in Salem's lot behind him. The other time is to be drawn to the castle of the king. He doesn't want to speak about what he saw there, but we're going to see that in book seven. And I can't wait. Yes, yes, this is going to be very exciting. Um, <laughs> it's been a long time since I've read book seven. I'm actually really excited to get back to it, so I'm I'm pretty pumped. There's so much cool Dark Souls stuff in it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because <laughs> I haven't, I don't think I've read it since I've really got into Dark Souls, and so I'm kind of I'm kind of really curious about how it's all going to. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there in a couple <laughs> years, I'm sure. Yep. <laughs> Next year, the show ends in 2019. Oh, does it really? Okay, yeah. you've already got it. You got it planned out that far excellent you know i do <laughs> i'm sure you do. yeah i don't know why i asked that question i know, I know, I know your spreadsheets <laughs> yeah so um, um so they 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 basically retire right um so he, he's 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 basically like i'm sleepy i, I need to go to bed this took a lot out of me but uh Roland and his crew have to stay up for a little bit um and uh they pretty much put together immediately that the saviors were um like the the people that came and rescued him were the people from the bookstore. Uh, Eddie even says, "Like, do you think that we told them to do that?" And <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of dismissed very quickly. And they're like, "Let's not even think about this. This is way time travel at this late of night is never good." So, right. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they they really have no idea. They're contemplating time loops. Uh, but while this is happening, you know, all all of this confession on Callahan's part is kind of drawn this out. This chapter and this section ends with Susanna making a tearful confession, uh, you know, crying and saying like, "Hey, there's something you guys should know. Um, I think I might be in a little bit of the family way." Um, yep. So that is big news. We began this section of the book. Uh, with a huge conflict over whether or not she should be made aware of it. Uh, but she has put it together on her own. And now this is kind of going to force the issue even further um, as they try and figure out what to do about this, if anything. Exactly right. Um, it's, I, I like this. Uh, I like the fact that you divided the chapters like this because it's a bit of a cliffhanger of like what this conversation is about to be because it could go into a variety of different range, different ways. Um, yeah. And uh, I also like the fact that I was, I was fully expecting reading this that okay, 
Roland and uh, Jake and Eddie are going to have this conversation about Susanna and not actually include her in it. So the fact that she just like took it upon herself to say like, actually this involves me and is about me and my body. I should probably be the one to talk about it is really good for me. Like I I like that. I like this a lot better than any of the alternatives that could have been happening. Yeah. Um, Even just narratively and pacing wise, uh, putting, putting aside any discussions, any rifle discussions about, you know, autonomy and such uh, just this cut to the Mm -hmm. heart of it. Right. Like, okay, uh, we do yes. not have to have more conversations about who should know what when. It is going to become a conversation about what should we do, which is more satisfying, yeah. I think, because we've already shown the stakes of secret keeping. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. Uh, so, Jeremy, do you have any stray thoughts about this particular section of the book, even things that came before it? Uh, uh, s- summing up, um, uh, just kind of final final opportunity to uh, to speak about the book right now. Um, I, I'm very excited for the things to come in this book. Uh, I think this book's climax is one of the funnest things to read in the Dark Tower series. Um, there are some things that, on a reread, I, I liked a lot more as as an adult than I did when I was reading this as a kid. Um, I, and rereading it along with the podcast has been interesting as well because it's just it's just fun to do that and listen to you you and the other guests uh, talk about it. I'm a um, I'm the ending of this book something happens and i again we're not going to talk about what it is but it's it makes me kind of hate like i kind of hate what happens mm-hmm. in such a way that it that I, I can't help but like the book because it inspires such emotion out of me so yeah. very much looking forward to the podcast getting there and finishing it up because i want to hear what uh you specifically and then of course your guests have to say about it yeah yeah um for me this is the first time that i have kind of re-experienced Callahan's tale after having after having read Salem's Lot. Um, I never read Salem's Lot until we covered it for the show. Uh, so I was already pretty fond of Callahan as a character. Uh, you know, just based on what I saw in this book, the few times that I that I read it, but kind of understanding what this is an extension of, I really appreciate um, kind of having uh, having the full history. And seeing, I don't know, like we cover an awful lot of this guy's life uh, through all of this. Yeah. I think that, you mm-hmm. know, with a lot of characters, uh, with, you know, <laughs> a, a, a lot of books, more exposure just kind of offers more opportunities for you to be bummed out by what you see. Um, Callahan develops quite a bit between Salem's Lot and now. Um, and I appreciate seeing that, in the, seeing that in the full scope. So if his tale is kind of the uh, centerpiece and highlight of this, then this is very successful to me kind of as a, a as a full expression. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Cool. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me in this episode. This has been a huge fun. Where can people find it? It has the, been. <laughs> where can people find, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, this place is at JG Greer on Twitter. Um, that's where I'll retweet all of my podcasts. Um, just a, a quick shout out over at the Monster of the Week uh, podcast. We have started up a, another show called uh, Don't Give Up Space Cowboy, where we are covering the Cowboy Bebop anime. Hmm. Uh, it is a, I, I, I'm not much of an anime person. My co-host Chris is is a, is a big anime person. Um, 
this I, like if you showed me this i would have probably told you an anime fan because it's so so freaking great um, oh, yeah. and uh so you can check that out there's a there's a feed on um itunes called monster of the weeks presents where we're posting up our patreon exclusive shows where we're posting up the first episodes of all, all that over there mm-hmm. so go check that out uh patreon.com slash monster of the week is the best place to do it or if you want to stick with the duck feeds uh come come listen to me and gary grudgingly get through the Avengers cartoon from the 90s. Uh, <laughs> like that, did you know painful. that there was an Avengers cartoon from the 90s? <laughs> Ooh, it's, it sounds like you guys are just in physical pain going through that. We're, we're getting a lot of uh, comedy out of it because, um, you know, they, and every it's 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 the Avengers have a battle armor. And uh, <laughs> so far we've gotten uh, normal battle armor where like Hawkeye you literally had like the A belt buckle and then fastened a different heavier a belt buckle on top of that <laughs> as part of his armor um and then we've gotten uh so far we've gotten jungle versions of armor underwater armor and space armor all different armor outfits for all of the characters and it is and they are all it's it's, it's impressive that they've made them so bad <laughs> like it's impressive uh so go check that out that's days of future cast uh and on this very network so yeah, yeah. But thank you for having me I, lo- I love doing the show i'm sorry i haven't been able to do it uh as much as of late but i, I very much like doing the show so thank you for having me back yeah i'm super happy you're here uh, for me, you can find me on other shows on the duckfeed.tv network. Uh, just go and take a look. Uh, there's probably a 50-50 chance I'm on the one that you look at. Uh, additionally, you can watch. I, I stream video games uh, on the weekends. I scre- uh, stream horror games uh, under my Hexcrank Live label. That is at twitch.tv slash duckfeed.tv. It's a lot of fun. Otherwise, uh, ratings, reviews, patreon.com slash duckfeed.tv. Uh, and just coming back next week and telling your friends the usual grab bag of calls to action that we always fall back to. Uh, we'll be back next time with uh, part one of part three of this book, The Wolves. Uh, we will see you then. But until <laughs> but, but until next time, long days and pleasant nights. <laughs>